Good morning. I'd like to welcome all of you to our worship service here at Reveille United Methodist Church. My name is Stephen Coleman. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Reveille. Whether you are a member or a guest, whether you are joining with us in person or online, we welcome you this day and are so glad all of you are here with us. Uh, our lead pastor, the Reverend Dr. Pete Moon, is preaching this morning. We are continuing our sermon series on hard questions, and today Pete will be exploring the relationship between science and Christianity. Pete is a uh, self-proclaimed math and science nerd, so it's going to be a uh, great service uh, this morning. Uh, Also, just to give you a preview of what to expect, we have two more weeks of uh, hard questions. Next week, we will be talking about, is there only one way? And then two weeks from today, uh, Pete will be preaching about, is heaven for real? So we have uh, two more hard questions to go after today. Uh, Also, I just want to make a quick announcement about our Wednesday night meal uh, and program that will take place with our partner churches in Swansboro. Uh, we are going to be doing a, uh, a meal and then uh, a program about hope and change, or hope in the midst of change. So we hope you'll come and join us uh, on Wednesday night. You can sign up for that dinner and program by going to our website. I invite you to look through the bulletin and take note of all the other announcements and what is going on in the life of our church. Let us now prepare our hearts and minds for the worship of the living God. The Lord be with you.
I invite you to stand now in body or in spirit and join me for our call to worship. Look, listen. Look, listen. Look, listen. Look, listen. Look, listen. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Even on cloudy days, morning has broken like the first morning. Let us sing these words together. Hymn number 145. Having gathered into the presence of the Holy God, let us now confess who we are with our prayer of common confession and then our silent personal confession. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful God, you know the thoughts of our hearts. We confess that we have sinned against you and done evil in your sight. We have transgressed your holy laws we have disregarded your word and sacraments. Forgive us, O Lord. Give us grace and power to put away all hurtful things, that being delivered from the bondage of sin, we may bring forth fruit worthy of repentance, and from henceforth may ever walk in your holy ways. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hear now the good news. 
If any one of us sins, we have an advocate with the Lord, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he not only forgives our sins, but the sins of the whole world. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. I invite you now to share signs of reconciliation and peace with those around you. say a word of welcome to all the children who are with us in live stream today. And uh, if you are with us, uh, snuggle on up here to the screen and uh, know that you are a part of our time here together this morning. So it's good to see all of you and uh, have our time together because I want to show you all something I brought here today. You guys doing all right today? 
Yes, yeah, kind of a cloudy day out there today. Come on up. Well, I, anybody know, what, what do you think I have in this bag today? What do you think? A plant. A plant? Okay, what do you think it is? What is it? Binoculars, you're absolutely right. So, it's, um, so I wanted to bring a telescope, but it'd be kind of big, and I don't have one, and it'd be kind of hard. So, so I brought some binoculars. Do you all ever use these? So, yeah, in fact, why don't you stand up and take a look, and what do you see out there when you look at everybody? Anything? They're all big, huh? Well, that's what happens. You know, and you know what I like to do sometimes? I like to take these binoculars on a real clear, like there was a full moon the other night, and I, and have you ever looked at a moon uh, at night with binoculars? It looks really big, and you can see all sorts of cool stuff on there. And, well, I want to tell you about somebody else, about King David. Now, King David in the Bible, he did not have any binoculars, but he said that something wonderful happened. Uh, He said, when I look to the moon and the stars which you have set in place, he was praying to God, and he saw the moon, and he saw the stars, and he saw the wonderful, beautiful night sky, and then he saw how much God loved him. And he said, what am I that you care about me? But he's reminded that one of the things that happens when we look at the beauty of nature, that sometimes we're reminded how big God is, but also how much he loves you and me. Now, how many of you are in school and you study science? Anybody study science? Yeah? Do any of you study math and numbers and arithmetic? Do any of you study about animals and birds and plants? Yeah. Well, see, that's one of the things we're learning about today in church. That even when you study all those things in science and in class, sometimes when we listen carefully, they teach us about how wonderful God is. And when we think about that, sometimes we're reminded about how much he loves you. So we're going to be thinking about that today in church. And why don't you take your hands, put them together. And we're going to say a prayer. Will you say what I say? Dear God, thank you for the beautiful day. Even though it's cloudy, there's a sun and stars and moon out there that reminds us that you love us. Amen. All right, boys and girls, always great to have you here every day. You brighten up the whole day when you're here. Please join me in praying the prayer for illumination. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. Today's first scripture reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. It starts on page 2 of your Bibles. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name." The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. 
Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading for the morning comes from the book of Luke, reading in the first chapter, the first four verses. And know that these are the very opening verses to Luke's gospel. Listen now. Will you listen now for the word of God? Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, as your word is proclaimed today, we will be so bold as to say that you are a God of glory and wonder and majesty revealed in the heavens. We will also claim that you are revealed in this your word. Make your word come to life in us this day. For this we ask through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, as Stephen mentioned earlier, this morning we are continuing our sermon series entitled Hard Questions. And now we come to the relationship between science and Christianity with an intentional and admittedly inflammatory question, is Christianity anti-science? Well, all the prep for this has got me thinking about Mr. Fritz. Mr. Fritz was a man with whom I spent a lot of time in high school. He was my high school biology teacher. He is also the very highly respected coach of our high school cross-country team, of which I was a part. And under his leadership, we won the entire Maryland State Championship in cross-country that year. But what I remember about Mr. Fritz was an uncomfortable day in his biology class. He was teaching on evolution, and he was also trying to be careful to speak to the traditional Bible understanding around creation. And you know what? I don't remember what he said about the Bible that day. I don't remember what he said about Darwin or or about evolution that day. What I remember is my coach, I spent hours every day with this man. Suddenly, he was not himself. Awkward uncomfortable, multiple disclaimers, multiple buts, and, and however. I, I, I was interested in a whole lot of other things at that point. I wasn't really interested in biology or evolution, but ah, what I do remember that day was how uncomfortable he was. And that awkward moment, of course, did not begin that day with Mr. Fritz. Because you don't have to dive deep into history to see this embedded divide between Christianity and science and academia. Many of you may know the story of Galileo uh, in the 1600s. He famously made these scientific observations, along with Copernicus, that the sun or the earth revolved around the sun. And as he proclaimed this learning, this observation, he, of course, ran up against the church, which had a different understanding, which ironically was much more from Aristotle than it was from the Scriptures. Galileo himself was a believer, a devout believer, and even so, they went at battle. And Galileo was placed under house arrest by the church, and this conflict was off to the races. And so a century or so later, we enter into this season of church and faith known as the Enlightenment, where everything is subjected to the filter 
All philosophy is subjected to the filter of, uh, of reason. And the premier illustration of the time was and is Thomas Jefferson, to whom we are indebted as a country, but who was also a child, an, uh, a child of the Enlightenment. And you might remember the stories of Thomas Jefferson, how he would famously cut out with a knife all the scriptures that had to do with miracles or the supernatural. They didn't fit the enlightenment mold of reason. And of course, soon thereafter, we enter into the world of Darwin and evolutionary theory. And then that comes up against American fundamentalism, particularly in the early part of the last century. And sure enough, a 16-year-old is in a biology classroom trying to figure out why his coach is off his game. Well, this is not just a historical adventure. This contemporary landing place of which we describe here is not insignificant. Because we now live with a science and faith narrative that, like so many other places in our culture, is narrated by the folks on the extreme sides and the folks who have the loudest voices. Because on one hand, we have the famous atheists, people like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins with books and articles and lines and quotes that sort of stir up the feeding frenzy. Their basic argument is, as Tim Keller states in his book, Reason for God, I quote, that science in general and evolutionary science in particular has made belief in God unnecessary and obsolete. They go on to say, you cannot be an intelligent scientific thinker and still hold religious beliefs. Well, all that side of it comes at us. And then we also, all this meets a large segment of Christianity that holds fast to a literal 24-hour day in Genesis And along with it, a claim that if you don't hold to that, you have somehow compromised Scripture. And all that makes for where we are today. And let me be clear on this. The point of the morning is not to beat up on atheists. You can get a whole bunch of books to do that if you want to do that. Nor is it the agenda this morning to patronize or minimize the faith of those who hold on to a a literal interpretation of Genesis. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that I would not be in this pulpit today were it not for the incredible spiritual men and women who hold this belief but loved me and led me dearly. And I wager that many of you could share a very similar story. But let's also acknowledge the collateral damage of this divide. Because you know what happens? You and I, we miss out. We miss out on beauty, we miss out on wonder, and in the end, we also miss out on truth. But there's been a lot of leadership out there that has been at work to offer a different narrative. Many of you may be familiar with the story of Dr. Francis Collins. He is the former director of the Human Genome Project, recently served as the director of the National Institute of Health. And he he grew up in a religiously indifferent world, grew up as an atheist as he went through med school and as he became a doctor. And he tells the story in his book, Language of God, of a time when he was uh, visiting as a young doctor. He was visiting at the bedside of a woman who was a believer, but who was dealing with untreatable pain. He speaks of this question that she asked of him about what he believed. He didn't have the answer, but it sent him on this quest that ultimately uh, put him in this place to confess Christ as Lord. And he says this in his book, Language of God. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, and beautiful, and it cannot be at war with itself. Only we imperfect humans can start such battles. And only we can end them. And you know, another, albeit more modest, advocate for a different narrative comes from the well-known scientist, you may have seen him on TV, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he reminds us of this statistic, 
that 40% of American scientists today claim to be religious. And when they claim to be religious, they answer the, que- the question, do you pray to a personal God? 40% of American scientists say yes to that. And the point is that there's a whole bunch of folks who embrace this narrative for which we search today, a peaceful narrative of a coexistence between these two things. And with all that in mind, now let's turn to our scriptures, one from the book of Genesis and moving on to the book of Luke, and understand that a lot of the divide we have to deal with comes from the different understandings, the way we understand scriptures such as these. And we don't have the time to to dive real deep, but we can see in these two things how scripture offers itself in different ways, right? We read just a sample of the first three chapters of Genesis. And you know, folks are divided on how to read these words. A large number of folks are agreed that these first few chapters belong in the category that is more akin to poetry and song, full of metaphor designed to take us to a deeper place, a a more holistic place. And some people extend that understanding all the way through the first 11 chapters uh, of Genesis, including the Tower of Babel and Cain and Abel and uh, the flood. And then when we get to the call of Abram in chapter 12, it's recognized pretty universally that we're entering into a different understanding of Scripture in all of this. And then if you open up the New Testament and look at the book of Luke, those first four verses, what's fascinating to me is that Luke is describing a historical, critical, investigative method of telling the story. He's saying with scientific clarity that all this has happened. He's saying, I've investigated, I've interviewed, and due diligence has been exercised so that he can, in his words, bring you and me a truthful account. The point is that here we have two very different styles of Scripture, but both have the same agenda, trying to drive us, lead us, draw us into a deeper understanding of truth. But the point is, in contrast to Luke 1, it's very likely that these early chapters of Genesis are not trying to do science. They're not trying to do history. They have a deeper, a greater agenda to drive you and me towards a truth that is even more true than what science and history can do for us. Now, to see this, let's kind of regather around our main point for the morning. Because if we pull back from the temptation of this embattled narrative, there is beauty here, the beauty of science, and subsequently the beauty and truth of God. We share with the children Uh, The words of David in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what are we, I paraphrase, that you are mindful of us? See, that's what David does as we share with the children. Looks to the heavens, studies the heavens, dare we say scientifically, sees wonder and beauty, and sees that this very big, wondrous God sees me. This big God cares about me. I don't know if that ever happens to you. Do you does that, when you see the images, for example, from the web telescope and the things that come across and all that, a time where you look into the heavens and see the wonder of a God who still sees you in love. Now, I do need to confess at this point I'm a recovering science math geek. So all that is absolutely true. I own every bit of that. And uh, just to tell you my story, I grew up average when it came to math. I did okay, didn't knock it out of the park. And then I went to college and ended up studying aeronautical and astronautical engineering. Now, it sounds like that means you're building rockets and airplanes. But in all honesty, it's all math. Every lecture, literally, in those days there was a chalkboard, the, the professor would be going through equations, going through proofs, every single lecture. All the sort of spend my days doing, just solving equations, using math, which became increasingly more complex every semester. But there was this point, I was only 20 years old, but there was this point where you stop in somewhat amazement at the power of what you're able to do. 
realizing, at the risk of sounding like a science math nerd, realizing that with equations and math, you can design an airplane, design a rocket, design a jet engine, and never touch a piece of metal or aluminum. I mean, and even at that point, I was amazed at what God has created in this creation that comes to life through scientific work and investigation. Now, to be fair, let us also acknowledge that as wondrous and powerful as science is, science is not God. It's reasonable and important for us to recognize the limitations And here I'm indebted to Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin and her book, Confronting Christianity. She takes on this question of science and faith, but she does it not just uh, as a researcher, but she does it as a mother. And she speaks about her newborn daughter when she wrote this, and she says this, From a Christian perspective, my daughter is a bag of cells, but she is not just cells. She is dust. But she is not just dust. Indeed, the Bible insists that our dust-formed selves have immense and inalienable value, fashioned by God, and called to unique relationship with Him. For Christians, therefore, the most important question is not, what does science say we are, but who does God say we are? You know, this week I was doing some research. You heard uh, Stephen say we're going to be doing a sermon series, Is Heaven Real, in a couple weeks. And I was doing some research on that and some initial work. I came across a great line that you're going to hear again, I'm sure. And it said, it reminded us that you and I as human beings, we are not bodies with a soul, but we are souls with a body. And we're going to say more about that in a couple weeks. But it's a helpful reminder that as science, as good as it is, doesn't always get the last word. And in addition, let us acknowledge that science stumbles when it comes to miracles. And when we get down to it, our faith is dependent, no, actually contingent upon miracles. Paul famously stated, if if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, and he means literally, physically raised from the dead, he says, and I paraphrase, our faith is useless. Well, there's a whole lot more to be said, and we're short on time, but I'd like to bring this home by thinking holistically about these two scriptures, Genesis 1 through 3 and Luke 1. I wonder if we really embrace these things, if we could find a truth That is even more true. Because you know what? I'm amazed at the God of Genesis who created this world and created this world out of nothing. Because if you are like me, there are times where you have nothing. You have nothing to bring to the table. You're at your wit's end. You have nothing left to to go with. And you need a God like me who can create something out of nothing. That is the God we worship of Genesis 1 a God who can still bring it. And I need a God who can still do this, who can speak order out of chaos, because my life looks like chaos. Maybe yours does at times, and certainly this world does. We need a God who can yet do that, bring order out of chaos. I need a God who loves color and diversity. As you go through the list of species and plants and animals, a God who paints and creates in color, because my world, if yours, and yours is just like it, You look at outside, you look at the world and our culture so often, it's all in shades of gray. But that's not our God. Our God creates in color and wonder and diversity. And I need a God who creates you and me in in his image. A God who breathes his breath into us and gives us this incredible ability like him to create and multiply and reproduce. And I need a God who still searches for me in the cool of the day, calling me by name. Because you and I are still doing it. We have sinned, and and we're hiding behind any fig leaf we can find. By the way, just like Adam and Eve, I'm going to blame everybody else but me. And I need a God who won't run, who will stay the course with me. Because life is hard. Childbirth is hard. And the devil has done his work in this garden. 
with me and every person on the planet. And as Genesis says, I need a God who can yet crush his head. And then when you open up the pages of Luke and you see this historical, this scientific, this absolutely true investigation, I find a God who has done it. He's really done it. He sent his son to live the life I'm supposed to live. He sent his son to die the death I deserve. And he sent his son who graciously through his death draws me to himself because he has miraculously, supernaturally, and literally risen from the dead. And because of that, I am forgiven. Because of that, I am redeemed. And because of that, I am brought back to the garden. Now, I can walk with this God in the cool of the day. Brothers and sisters, this is our God who has fulfilled every primal need in the book of Genesis. And the God who has come to us in the person in this world in Jesus Christ. A God who is even more true than science, but who has such taste and wonder that he can highlight for us the beauty and power of science and bring it all home, the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. That is our God, a God of science, but a God who has an even deeper truth, one that has redeemed you and me. Thanks be to our God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In response to the word proclaimed, let us praise the source of faith and learning. You'll find this hymn in The Faith We Sing, number 2004. I invite you to stand and sing. we say what we believe using page 880 the Nicene Creed let us offer these words together we believe in one God the Father the Almighty maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ the only Son of God eternally begotten of the Father God from God light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, 
of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic Church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Let us please be seated. Come down, Creator Spirit, give us light. Breathe in us your mercy, God of might. Come, O Creator Spirit, breathe new life in us. Come down, dwell in our hearts, that we may know your love. Friends, let us clear our minds, let us close our eyes, and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us as the church to gather here on this day. We thank you for this day and this cloudy day. We thank you for the sun and the moon. We thank you for the rain and the clouds. We thank you, Lord, for the stars. We thank you for the land. We thank you for the water. We thank you for your creation in man. We thank you for your creation of the woman. We thank you for all the birds of the skies, all the animals that roam in the air, and all the animals that roam on the ground. We thank you for allowing us as humans to have dominion and stewardship over your beautiful creation here on earth. And on that same note, Lord, we lift up these prayers. We lift up those prayers for when those times come where we as humans may not have been taking care of your beautiful creation. We continue to pray and lament for the war that's going on overseas in the Middle East, where there's people ravaging your lands, where there are people who are being victimized and oppressed. We continue to pray for the motherless, the widowed, those who are finding themselves powerless in light of this conflict. We continue to pray for our friends overseas in Ukraine as well, who are also experiencing war. And we continue to pray all over for the world for peace, for grace, for love, and for mercy. Lord, we thank you for science, and we thank you for all the means in which you have given us as your people, the opportunity to learn and discern and to dig towards your truths. We thank you for folks like Aristotle and Socrates. We thank you for folks like Plato and Galileo. We thank you for folks like Copernicus and other scientists like Albert Einstein and other people who have done their best to do their due diligence in learning more about your creation and in your world. We continue to pray, Lord, 
that your grace and your mercy continues to empower us, continues to enlighten us, as you continue to reveal your truths to us as your people. We lift up these prayers to you, Lord, both the ones that were spoken here on this day and the ones that are unspoken on our hearts. And let us now take this time to finally lift up those prayers. Hear our prayers again, O oh God, as you were the one through, through means of grace created this world that we may be a part, that we may serve, that we may live, Lord. We thank you for your means of science that have allowed for us to uh, have health care, that allowed for us to be in buildings like this here on this day. And we lift up these prayers to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who was fully human and fully divine and continues to remain a mystery to us to this day but have been revealed to us through your truths. And that the one who imparted these words, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue to be responsible stewards for this earth, I invite our ushers so we can continue in our worship and giving.
Let us pray. God, we bless and pray over these gifts that they may go towards the advancement and the empowerment of your creation, both in the body, the world, the land, the skies, and the waters. We lift these prayers up to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all of God's people said, We are pleased and excited to welcome some new members into our church this morning. I invite them to come forward now. And as they uh, make their way forward, I also want to just announce we also welcome two new members at our 830 service this morning, uh, Brenna and Ryan Francis. Um, we have two members here today. Uh, we have uh, Kelly G uh, and Kyle Young and his family are making their way uh, forward now. <laughs> it's not easy moving with four children, I know that. So, <laughs> so let me introduce these uh, candidates for you. Uh, Kelly G is here with us. She is the mother of two young boys. She uh, works for the uh, Office of Governor, and she is joining this morning by reaffirmation of her faith. And Kyle Young is here with his wife, Mandy, uh, and their four uh, children. Uh, Kyle is a manager with Dominion Energy, and he is joining this morning by transfer from another United Methodist Church. So we are excited to have both of you here with us today. Amen. And as you come to join, let me uh, invite you to turn around. And um, we, have, we are just so excited you all are here. And we welcome you and are thrilled you're with us. Uh, and as you come to join the church, uh, we have questions which we ask of you. And by answering them, not only do you indicate your faith in Christ, but your desire to serve him through this particular congregation. And so on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, respond by saying, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression? In whatever forms they present themselves again, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, Promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. I do. And as members of Christ's universal church, will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and do all in, its po- in your power to strengthen its ministries? I will. And finally, as members of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service, and your witness? I will. And now I invite all of you to join me for our commendation and welcome, which is printed in the bulletin. Members of the household of God, I commend these persons to your love and care. Do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. We give thanks for all that God has already given you, and we welcome you in Christian love. As members together with you in the body of Christ, And in this congregation of the United Methodist Church, we renew our covenant faithfully to participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Lord God, we are so grateful to have Kyle and Kelly and all their family here with us today. So thankful that you have brought them into our midst. And we ask your blessing upon them and upon this day as we encourage them. May they encourage us. It is our prayer that you would continue to do your work in our midst of growing us together to serve your kingdom and be a visible representation of the love you have for us in this creation. We thank you for each of them. And commit ourselves to your renewed work this day and beyond in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Pete and Bio and I will welcome Kelly and Kyle now on your behalf. But you will also have an opportunity to welcome and greet them. They will be in our welcome center uh, right after the service. And now let us sing to the power of the Almighty God. I invite you to stand for our final hymn, number 152.
Together we sing the almighty power of God, the God who created all the wonder of creation, but a God who created you and me with love and wonder. The God who created it all cares about you, cares about me, and still calls us by name. As you go to meet the joys and the challenges of this week, hold on to this, but even more, hold on to our God who has come to us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As all God's people say, amen. Go in peace.